When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast. I'm glad you're here today. I hope this message about language will be understood in your language. A reading from Genesis chapter 11. All people on the earth had one language and the same words. When they traveled east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them hard. They used bricks for stones and asphalt for mortar. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. And let's make a name for ourselves so that we won't be dispersed over all the earth. Then the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the humans had built. And the Lord said, now there is one people and they all have one language. This is what they have begun to do. And now all that they plan to do will be possible for them. Come, let's go down and mix up their language so there won't so they won't understand each other's language. Then the Lord dispersed them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore its name is Babel, because there the Lord mixed up the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over all the earth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Tower of Babel is a great story the origin of our languages. Languages are really difficult to learn, uh, and they're also different, and yet so similar all around the earth. Uh, There's all sorts of theories about language development, which language is related to which. Scholars in the, well, 17th, 18th century, 19th century identified English as one of the Indo-European languages that, you know, came from India and other places to make what we, um, what we speak now. And all the different ways it spread out and branched out from that original language. There's other languages in Europe and elsewhere that are unrelated to that original language. But it's fascinating because, uh, you know, there, but there is such a thing as language in humans. That is something that um, is unique to us. Certainly, there are animals that can talk in the sense of communicate, um, but you can't talk about, um, you know, last year's football game with an animal. Even the most intelligent chimpanzee or whatever they're working with in the zoo to get it to do sign language and you can't talk about its childhood. You can't talk about just about anything that we talk about as humans. And we talk a lot as humans. We talk a lot and we say a lot and the words we have have meaning. Some of the meaning is what we intend it to be. Some of the meaning is what we, what others hear in our words. Uh, The meaning of human language, the way that humans communicate with each other is a something that is both a blessing and as we see in the story of the Tower of Babel a curse 
the inability to understand each other. And so this early human group who are descended from Noah, this is right after the ark lands and all the peoples disperse over the earth, um, they gather there in the land of Shinar. This is, according to Genesis, right around the place we call Babylon today. The ruins of Babylon, the archaeological remains and museum are still there in Babylon. And it is in this plain of Shinar that we see this tower being built. It's normal to build towers in this part of the world. There's really no stone, so they build out of brick, which it describes here. Bricks for stones and asphalt for mortar. All over the land of Iraq, the modern land of Iraq, there is this thing called bitumen. Bitumen is in the is the same word in Hebrew and in, in the Old Testament. It's translated pitch often it, or asphalt. It's not exactly what we put on the roads, but it's close. It is a petroleum product that seeps out of the ground in large quantities and people use to make roads out of it. And here they use it to build this tower. They also use it for ships and other things like in the story of Noah's Ark. But um, it's quite a substance and it indicates there is oil down below. And many people that have searched for oil over the hundreds of years that humans have really quested for it, they uh, have found that wherever you find bitumen and asphalt, you'll find oil down below. And so this is where it happens. The scene has shifted from the Garden of Eden to this plain of Shinar. And here, where you can see for miles, this tower is built. They want to build this tower with a top in the sky. Um, they are going to build what we would call now a ziggurat, which is a temple that is a series of cones that like get smaller and smaller as they go up. They're not a pyramid necessarily. They're, they're taller and pointier than that. But this is still, they still build them over there. Um, and there's lots of remains from over the thousands of years that they've been building ziggurats. And in the top of that ziggurat, in the top of that temple or tower, is the Holy of Holies, is the place where humans will meet with the gods. And you go to any you know, other temples around the world, that's sort of the idea as well. That there at the very top, there will be a room for the God to live in. And also, they don't want to be dispersed. And they realize that if they have a building project that they can all unite around, they will then uh, not be dispersed. They will not they will be strong and they will be powerful. This is never used for church building projects. Whenever you do a church building project, you use the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem or Solomon building the temple. You use those texts from the Bible. You don't use this one because this building project was not a good one. And then it says the Lord came down to see the city. This is comedy here. The comedy of God. God is in heaven. The humans are building this tower. And it says, God came down to see this little tower. <laughs> you know, like, they thought it was really big. 
God didn't really think it was that big. He had to come all the way down to see it. And that's right in the text, the comedy of God seeing. And, now, and God is worried. There is now one people and one language. And now that everything they plan to do will be possible for them. It's like humans haven't learned the lesson of the ark and the flood. That there is strength in unity. And there is a good thing to be together on many things. But there is also a kind of evil uh, that humans develop when we uh, become obsessed with our own strength and power and unity for its own sake. Um, it's good to be unified for loving other people and caring for other people and doing things like that. But being unified to build a false idol, a monument to our own greatness, um, is not the kind of unity that God wants God's people to be part of. And so the confusion of language happens. Um, they are confused in their languages and are dispersed over all the earth. You know, you can imagine they're working and someone says, throw me a hammer. My hammer broke. And he throws up a, a screwdriver. And I asked for a hammer. Because that's a hammer. Wait, what's your word for hammer? What's your word for screwdriver? Um, suddenly they start arguments and conflict and they disperse because they can't talk to each other. This is clearly a, a story about us as humans. The wounds of the Tower of Babel are healed in the miracle of Pentecost. Suddenly, all the peoples of the earth, almost the same list that is listed here, are hearing the good news of Jesus in their own language. And the miracle of Pentecost still goes on as Scripture and prayers are translated into languages around the world, uh, people suddenly realize who Jesus is. Even our ancestors at one time in the English-speaking world had somebody translate these stories into, into what now we would call English. And we heard the story of Jesus for the first time. And we believed. And we followed him. Jesus always speaks to people in their own language. And so the curse of Babel is reversed in Pentecost, in the kingdom of God. Amen. Today is a big day in the church calendar. The confession of St. Peter the Apostle, who I guess I'm named after at some, some level, us Peterses. Um, but this is a moment in the life of the Gospels where Simon, as he's known, he is named after the patriarch Simeon, the son of Jacob. He confesses, you are the Christ to Jesus. And Jesus responds, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. The word Peter, Petros, means rock. And so he's named Rock. The fisherman and his brother Andrew were the first disciples called by Jesus. He is 
prominent in the Gospels, often stumbling, impetuous, intense, and even uncouth. I love the word uncouth, because if anyone uses the word uncouth, it's a very clear marker that they are at the top of the civilization, because uncouth people don't know that word generally. So maybe it's a good insult to use. So the people you're using it against don't know what it means often. Although I have been uncouth at times and people, and I knew what the word meant. So maybe that's not true. Peter walks in the water. He is there at the transfiguration and he is there to deny Jesus three times before his crucifixion. But it is also Peter after Pentecost who risks his own life to preach the power of the gospel of Jesus. It is Peter the rock that planted the church there in Rome and other places. Um, It is Peter who baptizes and meets the first Gentile Christian, Cornelius the centurion. Uh, He and Paul enter into some conflict about what Jewish Christians need to do to be part of Christianity and what Gentile Christians need to do to be part of Christianity. And that struggle is well documented in Scripture. The church has always struggled and worked things out um, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And Peter and Paul's controversy is um, part of that ongoing journey to find the truth of Jesus for our moment in time. The New Testament ends Peter's story. Um, I forget the last mention of him in the book of Acts, but it sort of peters out. Um, He's obviously engaged in work and doing great things, but we don't know what happens to him or what he does um, after, I believe he's in Antioch or Jerusalem, After that, we don't have any stories of his travels, but there is pretty good evidence that he goes to Rome. From church history and from uh, his epistles and other writings about him. The story um, is early. It's very early of the story of Peter's death. So um, it's not in scripture, but it's pretty close to the events where he is fleeing the persecution of Nero somewhere in the 60s AD. He's fleeing that persecution and on his way out on the Appian Way, the road that leads to Rome, he meets Jesus. And Jesus, and he asks Jesus, Domine, quo vadis? Which means, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, I'm going to be crucified again. And at that, Peter retraces his steps, goes back to Rome, and is crucified. The story is that he tells the soldiers he is not worthy to be crucified as his Lord was. And so they turn him upside down and crucify him upside down. Uh, So he dies a martyr's death for the Lord that At one moment in time, he denied. There is always forgiveness. There is always restoration. All these things are possible. 
So this rock who lived a very human life, uh, as we follow Jesus, we also follow Peter as he follows Jesus. Since 1908, the eight days between the Feast of the Confession of St. Peter and the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul have been observed ecumenically as the week of prayer for Christian unity. So we pray for Christian unity today, for Christians, although we disagree on a lot of things. Um, we agree on Jesus in most churches, I think, is fairly true that they're centered on Jesus. And in the parts of our church that are not centered on Jesus, we have to recenter. And uh, I think that's something Christians can do together because we can learn a lot from other Christians how they follow Jesus in their time and place. Almighty Father, who inspired Simon Peter, first among the apostles, to confess Jesus as Messiah and Son of the living God, keep your church steadfast upon the rock of this faith so that in unity and peace we may proclaim the one truth and follow the one Lord, our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.